everyone. Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Kate Siegel. I'm Nikki Urban, and our guest today is Marcelina Chavera. Marcelina is on the inaugural Latinx TV list, uh, presented by Hulu and The Blacklist for her pilot, Macho Libre. It's very, very good. She's also a writer for Netflix and an actor and visual artist. We are so happy to have you on, Marcelina. You are awesome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I uh, I have a comedy girl crush on both of y'all. Stop. So this is this is this oh, is Marcelina, a dream. I'm so stoked to have you here. Uh, you're. You're such a wonderfully delightful person to be around in addition to such a talented person. Like, you're just, I, I think that you're just like such an awesome person in the comedy community and I am so stoked to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. <laughs> so how, how, are you, how are you? What's going on? What's new? I'm, I'm great, actually. I, like, like you said, uh, my, my pilot, Macho Libre, was on the inaugural Latinx TV list and it literally changed my life. I know that's a that's kind of a rare thing in Hollywood for somebody to win so, uh, an award for something and it actually do good for them. Oh. But it it did it did right by me. I got and I feel kind of guilty too because the pandemic has been very nice mm. to me. Understand. Um the I my life has changed for the better and um, I got representation. I am staffed on my first show. Um, people are looking at my writing seriously and, uh, I'm, I'm in the pipeline, which is really hard to break into. And, um, yeah, it's great. Uh, you shouldn't feel guilty at all because <laughs> you, like you earned it. It's, um, I've been thinking a lot about that, about these, like you, you kind of go through life and you're like your career and you're like planting these seeds and you've been planting these seeds now for years. And now these seeds like are growing and you've earned it because you're somebody that people love working with because you are you are oh, always you. delightful and kind and gracious and humble and just like appreciative of the process. Like you're just like a like a pure delight. Like I don't know if anybody could say anything bad about you. I mean, I'm sure you're a multi-leveled person, so <laughs> like, I'm sure you have your flaws. But uh, and I yes, I am a raging psychopath behind all of this. I am you're just fooling us all. Narcissistic. Psychopath, the bodies are piling up <laughs> under my floorboards. I do want to point out that, like, I, I, I did plant the seeds, but so many people helped me plant those seeds. Like, I, the Pack Theater was definitely integral in me finishing my pilot. Uh, Latinx comedy Pachanga, a lovely gentleman we all know, Fernando Funes, um, and Richie Aaron, who founded that insane venture is and that's been so much fun to play with um nikki being on your show then uh oh the happy sappy growing up hour is <laughs> is one of my favorite things on the planet you know uh, a lot of people who work on on your production also help me with mm -hmm. like jerry and um chacha like all these wonderful people um and also i want to say my mom helped me a lot. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's talk about your mom. Let's talk about your upbringing. Oh, okay, yeah. I was born in South Texas um, during a Ooh, snowstorm in, in January, and uh, which is pretty cool. It snowed this winter in Texas devastatingly, but before climate change in the 80s when I was born, it was kind of yeah. rare uh, for it to <laughs> snow in South Texas. And then I grew up in Dallas. 
My parents divorced when I was two. I don't remember them being together. I actually saw a picture of them kissing on their wedding day and it freaked me out. I was like, why are you, that's not how you act towards each other. That's not how my parents, that's not how you're supposed, no. <laughs> don't do that to my mother, father. <laughs> well, is that a contentious relationship with your father or? Oh, I don't speak with my father mm. uh, currently. Oh. Holla, holla, me too, girl. <laughs> The reason I wrote Macho Libre was actually in a response to my brother and my father. Um, they're both, I'm, I'm half Mexican. That's the Mexican side of my family. And because um, my brother's from my father's first marriage, my father's kind of a slut. Uh, <laughs> so, but growing up, it was really difficult watching them try to live up to a false sense of manhood and to the detriment of their own interests and their own life like my brother has a garage full of muscle cars and motorcycles and he has a dually he's like I'm like what are you what are you, what are you trying to compensate for like why why are you he's got two mastiffs <laughs> and a bulldog and he rides motorcycles and you, you know and like just shut up <laughs> if you are you genuinely interested in that that things is fine but like you don't, you don't have to be Jay Leno to prove that you're a man actually I don't think Jay Leno's brand of manhood is particularly healthy mm. so I wrote Macho Libre because I wanted to imagine a different kind of man uh, a new kind of man that can incorporate being able to be emotional and still, you can still have the cool things about being a man, like going out and digging a ditch and coming home and planting trees and chopping wood and beating up bad people, but you don't have to be an island. You don't have to drink to push down your feelings of fear and anxiety. You can be sad and, and vulnerable and still be a man. Mm -hmm. And I, I I want I want to give men their humanity back. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Now what's the Thank what's you. the plot of it? Like, like tell us more about what the um I mean I actually I saw the reading that you did at the pack, which was fucking so cool. That was like the coolest pilot reading I'd ever seen, like table reading of a pilot I'd ever seen. Because y'all because y'all took the effort to decorate the stage to look like uh, like a ring, like a wrestling ring, like a lucha ring. Yeah, that was me. I built turnbuckles. Oh um, <laughs> I, I, you are a prop master for sure. I, I thank you. I, uh, I built three. I built three turnbuckles, and I got all this really heavy yellow rope from Home Depot, and um, got a lot of papel picado for the stage. I wanted to make it look, and then I had a slideshow because I wanted. Yeah. Because when you go to the theater, you want to be entertained. You don't. Yes. You don't just want to sit there and watch a table of people talk, <laughs> <laughs> which can be fun. Which, if your writing is great, that's great. But I, I don't want to only rely on my writing. I've got other <laughs> tricks up my sleeve to yes. make you think that you like me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. You're like utilizing yeah. more, like more strengths than just your writing. Like your, like your eye for aesthetic. You're like, that's, that's cool. That's really cool. That worked. Thank you. Yeah, and it's also fun. It was also fun, like trying to figure out how to make three turnbuck. Like I tried to make them regulation size, which was the stupidest thing. <laughs> but they were pretty big. And then I have a smart car, so Fernando had to bring his truck so that we could get him to the practice. <laughs> But um, no, it was fun. The, the, the log line, I do believe, is 
after both of his fathers die, a woke AF 11-year-old boy has to go live with his super macho, old-school, ex-luchador grandfather above the aging man's eccentric wrestling academy. That is one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) That is a hell of a sentence. Thank you. When you were writing it and you were thinking about your brother and your father, did you see your brother as like the the son character and your dad as... Is yeah, yeah. I mean, my father isn't as bad as um, as El Feo, the main character in, in in one of the main characters in Macho Libre. He he was not nearly that homophobic. Uh, he was the normal amount of homophobic <laughs> you would expect from a Mexican American father in Texas at this time in my life. I don't think he would have kicked my brother out of the house if he was gay. It just wouldn't be. The, the way my brother acts now is pretty telling, though, of what my father's expectations of him were. And that is disappointing because we're, I, my father is very intellectual. He's, um, he has his PhD in uh, medical sociology. He was a migrant farm worker when he was younger. Um, he's very into uh, Chicano rights and, you know, um, was in that kind of, wavelength in the 60s and 70s he was in the peace corps and um but when it comes to his own son things are off and but and his daughter is like we're all very loud and very <laughs> uh very upfront and i think you know that's part of the reason why i'm not speaking with him is because i'm holding fast to these ideals that i thought he instilled in me but that somehow missed his son and mm. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to balance those things out. Yeah. But at least you have the relationship with your mother, which sounds like it's a very, like, uh, uh, it sounds like a healthy relationship, sounds like um, a positive one. It's a lot more healthy than it was when I was a teenager, but, like, that that's to be expected. Um, But a, a thing that is really important to keep in mind right now, especially... In, com- or in, in in Hollywood in general. Um, and I want to make it very clear that my mother did help me financially. <laughs> oh, good. She, she was able to, you know, some months I was short on the rent. She could help me. I was short on some bills. She could help me. And um, it's very important to know that I, I had help. I had financial help. I did also have three jobs in <laughs> yeah. addition to that. Uh, but I, I don't want people who are here and are having problems making it feel like it's their fault that they can't. It's expensive here. It's you're not getting paid what you owe, or you're not getting paid well. It's nearly impossible to make it here um, and not have help. So I, I want to be very clear. I did have help, and I don't want anybody to to think that I didn't. <laughs> I did work hard as well, but I also had help. I think that's a really important disclaimer because I remember when I moved here and I was like working, you know, I was like interning, like I had two internships, I had two jobs, I was a nanny, and then I was also working freelance, like doing customer support emails Mm -hmm. and like just like working my tail off. And I was just like, I have no time to do anything. Like, I don't understand how people then go do like five improv classes. I can't afford five improv classes Mm -hmm. or whatever it was, you know what I mean? And like, it took me a little while to realize like, 
oh, everybody here has parents. Yes. <laughs> Not everybody, but a lot of the people who are doing the thing that you're like, how could I possibly? They have parents that are helping them pay for that. Yes. Like the one that struck me was that um, there's the the clubhouse did this improv intensive that was like every day. And I couldn't go every day because I had to work. And oh, yeah. They had boot camp during boot camp. the day. Yeah. When yeah. I'm like, who can go to this? I, I mean, if you wait tables at night, maybe. But like I had a job. I had a, a job at a boutique. I had to be at work from eight to seven. So like. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> there are people who like even more fortunate than you that like don't have to work three jobs, like who have people bankrolling their pursuits, which is great for them. It's very lucky. I feel very happy for them. Also extremely jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, re I remember getting my first job at like, or my job at Paramount. It's like a marketing coordinator and my boss telling my, telling me how much I was getting paid. And she was like, and she was like apologetic. She's like, we wish we could do more, but this is sort of what we have. And I remember being like looking at it and being like, this is awesome. And then actually living like that with that much. I was like, this is hard. Like I'm a, I work at a studio and I am still like struggling financially all the time, living paycheck to paycheck. Like it's very hard to live here, even when you have a decent job. Yes, yeah. yes, it, yeah. In, in New York, I can't even imagine. Oh my gosh! Um, I, I think now the property prices have gone down, or rental prices have gone down a little bit in Manhattan because of the pandemic. But I, like before the pandemic, it was the most expensive place to live, and it has the history of being a, an incubator for artists. But artists cannot live there. Artists cannot live here and create art. Before before I got on the Latinx TV list. In, in 2019, I was work. I was working myself to death. Like I, if I can, could I get really yeah, real? Please. Like in July of 2019, I had a miscarriage. I didn't know I was pregnant. I I, I didn't know. Um, I I wasn't supposed to be. I had a, an IUD, but I was in July. We were doing Pacella, I think. I had been bleeding for 10 days and I hadn't slept in like three days. And I was like doing these live shows, going to work at this horribly abusive boutique in Hollywood and and like doing all these other, like an assistant job. And then I also had um, this like voiceover things I was trying to do. And that's what you have to do to make it here. You have to, and then like, it was really, it was really weird with the miscarriage because I didn't, they, I went to Planned Parenthood and was like, I've, I've been bleeding for 10 days. What's going on? And then they're like, oh, you're pregnant. And I was like, nope, I'm not. I can't be. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, and I've been talking about this a lot in therapy lately. There, I never wanted kids until that second when she said I was pregnant. And for a splash of a second, I was excited and wow. happy. And then I was like, I have no money. I couldn't pay my rent this month. This is, this is impossible. This is absolutely impossible. Um, so like, but, so all of that I had to take in stride and just keep pushing. And that is not, that is not, like, thank God the pandemic happened. I had to stop. Yeah. I had to. And um, yeah, that's, that, that's was, that's where I was in, before the pandemic happened. 
Um, so you just kept like after that you you were still just like going hard like mm-hmm. continuously after mm-hmm. that. Did yeah, you, no, I did you were you are you are you in therapy? Did you like was that like I'm sure yes, you were I'm working a, through it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a very big proponent of therapy. Actually I when I started writing Not Macho Libre, I had just started going back to therapy because for some reason I had a really bad flu. I was in a bad relationship at the time. I mean, the, the guy wasn't bad. It was just not a bad relationship. It, it was not, it was a bad relationship. And I had the flu and I was like completely uh, just out of it. And I had signed up to take a pilot writing class and I didn't remember doing it. <laughs> so after I came out of the flu, it was like, here, take this pilot writing class. And I was like, oh, I paid for it. Okay, I better go do it. And that's when I started writing Macho Libre. And that same week, I started therapy again. And my life was at the lowest of the low. And then I pulled myself up. And I was very lucky. I got a therapist who's a woman of color. I'm a big proponent of therapy, but like I have been gaslighted by very well-meaning white therapists who just did not understand that the things that were going on were not in my head. It was systemic racism and microaggressions. And for example, when I first got to LA, I have a master's degree from NYU. I applied to 150 jobs. I didn't hear back from a single one of them wow. when I first moved to, to LA. And it's, it's a big problem in LA for hiring Latinx people. Like if your name is Latinx, they're not gonna look at you as hard. And I thought I was inoculated against that because of NYU on my on my resume, and um, I know for a fact the boutique job I got, they weren't gonna hire me because of my name. But then the boss was like, oh, she went to NYU, just bring her in. <laughs> oh my gosh. So these these things are real. These these are really real things that people go, people who are not cis, white, hetero men with money and a family <laughs> to back them up, uh, which are a lot of male comedians in Los Angeles who are successful. <laughs> they know who they are. And the ones who aren't, they know who they are too. Don't come at me. I actually know a lot of wonderful cis hetero white men who are beautiful allies at the Fact Theater. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, these things are real. It's hard. Yeah. And don't give up. Don't give up. Damn. It'll happen. <laughs> what, did, uh, what, what did you go to NYU? What's your master's in? Oh, performance here. studies. We oh. studied performance. We didn't perform. So I have an MA, not an MFA, which means I'm better than my brother because I did more work than him. <laughs> no, he's a very, he's very talented. He's very, very intelligent and very talented. He's just bought into toxic masculinity. <laughs> so it sounds like, um, it sounds like you've been uh, like, like, Feeling these feels, like really work. This has been your work. It's not just been, you know, you're not just a, a creator of like art and acting and, and that. But you, for you, it's, it sounds like it's very important to bring the, the, the your personal experience, the humanity to the work that you do. It's not just about making people laugh. It's also about, hey, here's this other, <laughs> here's these other things we're not thinking about, you're not thinking about her. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I'm like, well, <laughs> You know? No, no, no. I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't have I, I have an agenda, but it's not like 
the liberal Hollywood conspiracy <laughs> agenda. It's just... You're not going to eat babies, Marcelina? I'm not going to eat babies this no. year, <laughs> at least, uh, if they're not prepared correctly. Because you need to at least, you got it, it's, they're tender bone, off the bone right now, but just leave them in the oven for a little longer. <laughs> but like, what's wrong with having an agenda? We all have an agenda. Yes. You know what I mean? Like everybody goes through life with an agenda. We want to accomplish something. We want to do something. And like, what's wrong with your agenda wanting to be like, educate people about shit they don't understand? Like, right? what is wrong with that? Well, I just, I guess my agenda is like, can't people just live? Like, why the hell do you care? <laughs> Why the hell do you care if this child is wearing nail polish and he's a boy? It doesn't, it's not hurting you. It's not hurting anybody. This kid yeah. wants to wear nail polish. What the, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't <laughs> hurt you at all. So leave him alone. <laughs> Jesus uh, even said, like, keep your eyes on your own test. Don't, <laughs> he didn't say it like that. Jesus didn't yeah. say that, but. He was like, don't throw rocks at people, you guys. It's yeah. freaking stupid. Throw rocks at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something like that. Yeah, something about like uh like running through a glass house. You just like ah! <laughs> I think that was it. I think that was it. Jesus just going, ah! Yeah, like running through yeah. a glass house. Ah! <laughs> Matthew uh five eighteen. <laughs> I, my weed consumption is so high right now. <laughs> I'm in therapy. I'm on I'm on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and my weed intake is way high too. <laughs> I just quit, like I quit and then I took like two months off and then I started again and I was like, oh, I'm a much better person when I'm smoking. I <laughs> know <laughs> you just chill out a little more. Yeah. Things don't bother you as much and yeah, it's so yeah. helpful. Life is just a little easier, and you know what? I'm for that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, weed is great and all, uh, but you said you're also on on meds. Uh, I like to talk about meds if you're comfortable, like uh, your journey with because I know that is also important to success. Like, do you feel like after you got on meds that helped change the game for you, or like how long have you been on meds? Like. Um, it, meds are very helpful, but the, the, the problem with meds is it that it takes a long time to figure out your, quote, cocktail, unquote. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing with finding a therapist that works with you. You don't have to go with the first one you saw. You can interview several therapists. If you aren't feeling like you're doing well with one, you can fire them and hire a new one. Um, it, it's, it's very much... It's, it's very careful balancing and everybody is different. So that's important. And it is very frustrating trying to get your meds right because you'll be crying and then you'll feel better and you won't know if it's you or the meds. And it's, it's both. But when you work with a psychiatrist and you work with a therapist and you'll find you'll figure it out. Um, I've been I have been on antidepressants since I was a teenager um, my family has a history of depression and bipolar disorder, um, and I've, I've always been depressed since I was little. I can remember being depressed. So uh, MDD is what I have. I got it bad. 
What's so bad that they thought I was bipolar, uh, bipolar too. But um, I, I think I was just, hype, I could be hypomanic. I don't know. There's this new thing where they have evidence-based medicine. Uh, <laughs> I don't what? know if you know this. Wait, what is, what is this? Also, what's MDD? Oh, major depressive disorder. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, according to the, uh, the DSM, I don't know what version they're on now, five or six. I could be making that up. Um, but yeah, I was, I was on meds in high school and I was actually one of those people, you know, how they have the warnings, uh, may cause suicidal attendant thoughts in young adults and teenagers. Well, that happened to me. Uh, oh. <laughs> they put me on a new anxiety med and I was in the hospital, it landed me in the hospital for two weeks. Um, so that happened when I was a teenager and then I, I've been on, so I was off anxiety meds for a long time and was just on antidepressants and then we change things and blah, blah, blah. And actually right now I'm on the anti-anxiety medication that put me in the hospital when I was a teenager and it's working great. Oh, wow. It's working fantastic because I'm in my 30s now and my brain <laughs> chemistry is completely different, yeah. even though I'm still really depressed. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, 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 you got to work. It's a team. Yeah. It takes a village. It takes a village and it's going to take a long, it's, it's not a magic pill. It's, yeah. You gotta have pills and talk therapy and a good support system or healthy people around you that love you and care about you. It's 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 a holistic thing and yeah. you can't just treat it like a diet or <laughs> yeah. the new hair care routine. It's it's different. What does depression look like for you? Um, a lot of people don't know I'm depressed because I'm very bubbly and I when I interact with people, I I try to always put on a face because I was horrifically bullied when I was in fourth grade. So I know how to manipulate people to make them like me. As I learned in therapy, <laughs> it's not manipulation, it's influence. That's right. Thank yes. you. <laughs> well, you're a great influencer because you're so fucking likable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's, yeah, it's not manipulation if you are, if you are doing it simply for the, the, decided on social factor of like, hey, we all need to get along and it's much easier if you catch flies with honey, you know. Oh, so not... much, yes. Yes, <laughs> it's so much easier when people are fucking nice. Yeah. It's not manipulation to be nice. Uh, it's it also just polite. I'm from Texas. Yes. We're nice on the, we might talk horrible shit about you behind your back, but we're going to be nice to you to your face. Because it's polite. <laughs> it's polite. Yes. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Just your experience, like what depression looks like. Oh, yes. um, I do get catatonic at times. I will uh, lay in bed and stare at the ceiling for hours. That's fun. A lot of it has to do with motivation. Um, I'm on uh, an SSRI right now that actually does give you a little more energy. Uh, which is very important for me or else I'll just like fall. My house will get super messy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, you won't shower. You have problems feeding yourself. Uh, one of the perks of, of winning the, the, the blacklist was that I got representation and I now have a staff writing job. So I am making a decent amount of money. I subscribe to Daily Harvest because I was not eating vegetables and I did not have the energy to cook. Like vegetables are super cheap and you can be super healthy, but you have to go to the store and get them and then yes. prepare them. 
and I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't. I could not do <laughs> yes. it. I was too sad. So it was either that or, uh, or, or, you know, maybe there's a frozen burrito in the freezer that I might have the energy to microwave, but. Do you notice a difference when you kind of do those things and like, oh, sorry, um, when you kind of do those things and take care of yourself and like eat a vegetable? Yes, yes. It, it, self-care is is so important. A lot of a lot of the problems I've had with my depressive disorder is self-loathing and like mm-hmm. self-harm. I I I was a I was a brander. I wasn't a cutter. I was a brander mm-hmm. um, in middle school and high school and elementary school. See, I've been depressed for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> and all that has to do with self-loathing. But now you know you you've got to be your own <clears throat> friend. You've got to talk to yourself nicely yeah sometimes I feel like I need to be my own drill sergeant which does not <laughs> I feel like it's the worst way to that's it no don't do that that's like that's that's falling into that weird puritanical capitalist American work ethic yes. where it's a oh, grind yeah. and and hopefully what we're taking out of this pandemic is or and what you know everybody in the the rest of the developed world knows that if you work people like you do here, it's gonna your productivity is gonna suffer, and we're mm-hmm. like a really wasteful, unproductive company country because yeah. of this work ethic we have, and it's not the grind. You don't, you don't work yourself to death. You gotta take breaks. It's a or like you hear in therapy, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. <laughs> Life yeah. is. If you go through it sprinting, you're gonna die real fast. So do you do you take conscious breaks or do you feel like like your depressive bouts? Do you feel like those kind of count as your break? How do you how do you balance? You sound your like life? my mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just spent two days being catatonic in bed. Wasn't that rest enough? No, that's not, not. That's not what was happening. No, that was work. <laughs> that was no, work. That's, that is work. It takes <laughs> a lot of energy to mm-hmm. be that depressed and um unfortunately it's it's hard to come out of that but uh no i i've i've and it it's you can't be hard on yourself for being hard on yourself too you're going <laughs> to yeah. like that's something that i i would do so i i i'm doing the best i can <laughs> hell yeah so what gets you to keep what gets you like out of bed where like what gets you like super pumped about uh, uh, yeah. oh this, my god oh my god there's this a cat. little girl has saved my oh life oh my gosh so many times both of my cats like oh. like ah i can't kill myself today gotta feed the cats <laughs> and if they eat my face because i didn't give them food that's my fault <laughs> right um what do i do i don't motivation is it's hard yeah. it's hard it's really it hard, hard. Um, I love genre movies. I'm a horror fan. I'll, the two movies I watch when things are really bad are Event Horizon and Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yes. For some reason, th- those, those make me very happy and I can, I kind of start clawing my way out when you watch your favorite movies or just seeing people is helpful. I, I, the, one of the reasons I'm so busy or like made myself so busy is because I know that if I stay home, I'll hide, and that will lead to more depression. So, but once again, like I've been, I've been 
in therapy all my life. I've been taking drugs all my life. And um, I am just now in a place where I feel kind of healthy. <laughs> uh, so that's good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking great, dude. That's great. Yeah. I haven't been to jail yet. Um, there's still time. There's still time. There's yeah. still time. I'm not in. I'm not in huge debt at the moment, which is insane. <laughs> That's insane. Have you never been in huge debt? I mean, have you never not been in huge debt? No, never. See, since student loans have been with me for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I was born in huge debt. Like, right? Literally, just like never not been broke. Uh, that was like, I think that's the word that I associate with my childhood the most is a broke. <laughs> <laughs> Bankruptcy. Sorry, that's a, That's one of those words from my childhood. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> You've already given a lot of advice. Um, so I feel like we haven't talked about uh, enough about your your comedy itself <laughs> yeah i just been telling you all my mental issues <laughs> no that's great i mean uh i really appreciate it because like the fact that you you are on this like really cool like path and you've been you know creating really awesome things and i think it's really important to see behind the curtain and of like hey there's a lot of struggle that goes on in the background here that's like you know, I'm not ashamed of this struggle at all. And I and happened. I did not do it alone. Yes. I had y'all. I had all of y'all. I had I had Nick Irvin. I had Kate. Your name's it's different weird, now. It's weird, right? <laughs> I'm not used to it yet. But I am changing my name, like, when I get married. So I was like, well, it'll just be easy. You, you do you. Marcelina, what? I know you've given us a lot of advice already, but uh, the listeners... Uh, but what is your biggest piece of advice if you could sum it all up? Collaborate or die. Oh. No man is an island. You, you like, I didn't do this by myself. I had y'all. And all of the jobs I got in the industry before I had representation, I got through friends. Every single one of them. I got through somebody I worked with. And um, when you work with other people, you... You get to see the things you like and you get to see the things you don't like. And that all helps with focusing your own voice. And and you get reps no matter what, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I worked on Macho Libre mostly by myself, but, like, I had the pachanga. I had a, a writer's group that um, – I had a different writer's group that gave me tons of notes. It, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been in fighting shape without people helping me. So – you're not alone. You don't have to do it alone. Learn how to delegate. It's it's a good it's a good thing to know how to do. I'm bad at it. I'm still learning, but um, yeah, collaborate or die. Make friends. <laughs> friends are nice. Friends are nice. And be your own friend. That's that's three things. But yeah, <laughs> collaborate or die. Be nice and be your own friend. Yes, hmm. I like that. Thank you. Super solid advice. Thanks. Solid advice from a solid human. So you're writing for Netflix right now. When you don't have to say what the show is if you're not allowed to or whatever, but we're we, the name just changed. The name we were working under was uh, legal changed it 
Um, and the new name did not come from the writer's room. So <laughs> okay. I'm not quite sure what it's called yet, but it will be out in early 2022. It's animated two robot brothers fight kaiju to save the <gasps> earth and their teenage genius creator girl. Cool. So that's what it's about. And I'm I'm having fun. The writer's room is really fun. I'm uh, The showrunner is somebody who I've admired for a long time and it was kind of weird that it's my first writing job and I'm like this is great I get to work with somebody I I like whose work is so that's really that's cool. awesome yeah <laughs> were you at all starstruck when you like found out who you were going to be working with a, a little well he he interviewed me like he was my first interview since yeah. he's the showrunner and um I'll, I'll let you know it's Tommy Blacha he um was a co-creator of Metalocalypse oh my god if which got me through grad school. Like, it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just really dumb metal humor. And I thought he was Mexican for the longest time. I thought it was Tommy Blanca. Uh, oh. <laughs> I was like, sweet. And when I met him, and he's Polish, like, at Polish descent. And I was like, man, I thought you were Mexican for the longest time. Because <laughs> you like metal. Who else likes metal? Oh, I guess a lot of white people do like metal. <laughs> Because we're not so cool. uh, obviously I thought he was Mexican, but no, <laughs> he's just cool, which is great. Um, and and it's been really great uh, working with him, and he's a fantastic uh, boss because he he stands up for the writers, which is what you're supposed to do when you're a showrunner. So stand up for your staff. So I'm learning good lessons, and um, we're all women except for Tommy, uh, which is yeah. which is fantastic on a on a sci-fi show, which is unheard of, and it's yeah, it's great. I'm very, I'm very lucky and very happy and going, I love going to work, uh, which is odd. (laughs) Hey, let's, let's, can we have a frank conversation about how, uh, how much more pleasant it is working in a writer's room full of women as opposed to men? I hate to, I hate to generalize that, but like, I've been very lucky that I've worked with like mostly women, but every time I'm in a situation where I'm working with like primarily men, it's like, wow, you are all so rude to each other and talking over each other. And like, you have no problem just being like, I don't like that. Like, and the rest of the women are so like, okay, huh. All right, well, let, let's see. Okay, let's work it out like this, you know? Like, we're more... Yeah, well, that's not quite... What about... What if we do this? How yeah. about... Here's a suggestion. What does everybody think? I, I've i been very lucky. Uh, my Most of my education has been single sex. And or since working at the pack, or I, I haven't been in uh, not too diverse rooms. I've been very, very lucky to... Uh, also not be the only I have been the only Mexican a lot in a room of all white people which is mm-hmm. never fun uh, that's why tokenization isn't fun if you're gonna hire if you, if you are serious about diversity hire more than one person and pay them the same as everybody else don't mm-hmm. get their money from a fund where you can pay them less <laughs> uh, Name names. a lot a lot of people uh, a lot of very large companies do that uh, but yeah, it it the writers' room I am in is we're all women, we're ahead, we're way ahead of production. <laughs> so I that's that's the experience I have is that we're not just on time, we're ahead. So there we go. <laughs> oh yes, 
Yeah. They have done studies that say that boardrooms that have more women perform better, make more money, are more successful overall. Just more efficient and productive mm -hmm. uh, in general. Women's institutions and run things. New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I've been very lucky to, to not. And I also, I think having my macho brother and father background, I am, and my single sex education in high school and, and college, I tend to speak to men like they're people. What do, what do you mean by single sex education? Oh, I went to a girls high school or a, a girls, it was K through 12, but I went eight, eighth grade through 12. Oh, okay. So the Hockaday School in Dallas, Texas, and then uh, Bryn Mawr College is a women's college, one of the seven sisters. And then my my graduate program was mostly women. And I think there were only two or maybe four cis hetero white men <laughs> in a class of 50. So that was great. That's a good number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only only four cis hetero white men in the in the in the program. <laughs> and they were lovely. And I enjoyed working with them. Yeah. It's not just like, <laughs> oh, it sucks working with men. It's just, you know, it's like a, it can be a different Mostly. experience. Mostly. Yeah. The because the, the only evidence we have is all of history <laughs> that the, that situation isn't the best. <laughs> Isn't it wild that we have such a long, long list of examples of why it doesn't work and we're still like, I don't know, re-up on the old white dudes to run things. Let's keep doing that. <sighs> Someday. We're getting there. We're getting there. Baby steps. Baby steps. One, one day at a time. The, the patriarchy is like alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> We gotta, we gotta find everybody we've wronged, and oh no, that's gonna take too long. <laughs> <laughs> Marcelina, thank you so much for coming on today. This feels like uh, uh, we've been talking for a while, and it's so sad to end this conversation. But we do want to hear uh, where can people find you? Oh yeah, um, on Instagram, on I am at the death of Marat, the painting. The Death of M-A-R-A-T, painting by David from the French Revolution. I don't know why I picked it. I'm not going to change it. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And uh, my Twitter is Mark underscore O underscore Lena, another thing that's very difficult to write out and find. But if you Google my name, Marcelina Chavira, um, you'll find everything. And I have a website where you can see me in a cardboard power loader from Aliens. That was so cool that you built that. That was the best. I that was the best thing I ever made in my life. It was amazing. It was amazing. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate you coming on and talking and sharing and opening up. Um, yeah, thank you so much for giving your time and energy today uh, to share with the people who are listening. Of course, I, I I'm very honored to be on this program. Like I said, I I. Uh, Y'all, you both of you are amazing, and uh, I'm I'm honored to be uh, amongst the esteemed people that you've talked to before. I'm like, wait, you want me to talk after? Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs>
I feel like you are such a perfect addition to the list, Marcelina. You're so talented you. and so Thank wonderful. You. It's been such a joy to have you on. And I can't wait to see what where you go from here and what you do next. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to our listeners for joining us with this conversation with Marcelina. It's uh, been awesome. And if you liked what you heard, uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about the network that we're on and how you can contribute and support women in podcasting. Uh, Yes, we are the Period Podcast Network. We are a network made by she's and they's for everyone. And it's really cool. We're all working together. And the concept behind our network is that Everybody, every single podcast that's on the network, we all kind of get paid the same. We are all working together to build up uh, build up each podcast like high tides, raise all ships. Uh, but we need your support in order to do that. <laughs> Kate, tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you can see on the Period Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, just so many great podcasts, starting with Tinseltown Tea, which is a movie review and Hollywood gossip podcast. There's Comadres y Comics, which is a podcast that highlights the Latinx community in comic book culture. There's Yes, a Stripper, a podcast about strippers and sex workers and interviews with people in those industries and their allies. There's Girl Boner, which is a health and sexuality and empowerment podcast. Elaine's Cooking for the Soul, which is a post-apocalyptic cooking podcast hosted in a dentist's office. Yes, it's very exciting. And we have a Patreon. Uh, we'd love uh, to see your support <laughs> if we could. Because, uh, you know, the best way to support is not only just to listen and to appreciate and share, but also, you know, share some of the dollar dollar if you got it. And our price is not high. For $5 a month, you can get um, ex- uh, you get an exclusive zine that is created by all of the uh, all of the participants on the network. Uh, we're creating some really cool artwork, some articles, some poetry. It's really really neat. And then at $10 a month, you can uh, you'll get exclusive bonus content from each of the uh, each of the podcasts. Uh, it's very exciting. There's also a bigger option for like a group Zoom that's like $20, and we highly suggest that because we're all very fun people. So check it out. If you support uh, marginalized voices in podcasting, if you feel like there should be more of them, which you should, guilt, 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 uh, check out all of the podcasts on the network. You can go to periodpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And if you can, please support the network and support as much as you can women in podcasting and women in in comedy and women in all things. It's the Comedy Girl Crush Podcast.